Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's broadcast. I am Dr. David DeRose. We're talking today about a subject that, well, if you're like me, I know you probably then would like this whole topic to have been resolved and everybody just to be on the same page with it. Well, obviously, by my remarks already, I am speaking again about COVID-19 today. And part of the reason I'm doing it is because not all that long ago, on a edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living that came out in mid-April of 2021, we actually aired a show that was discussing one of my recently released videos. It was called Plain Talk About mRNA Vaccines. And based on that video and my accompanying radio show, both came out around the same time, I've been getting a host of emails, communications, texts, comments on uh, on YouTube with folks raising concerns about these vaccines. Yes, some of them legitimate questions. I think there are still some legitimate questions out there. But most of what I'm hearing that's driving the dialogue is misinterpretation of data. And it's really distressing to me as a physician and as a public health professional. So because of that, I recently released another video called Breaking News, mRNA COVID Vaccines, Five Myths Dispelled. That is out on YouTube. It came out on the 6th of May of 2021. And what we're going to be featuring in this episode is looking at some of this data. And I know it's cutting edge because even the day that we put this video out, I think it was that very day, because the next day someone reached out to me and they said, but you haven't seen this major television news host and what he was saying about COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccines and in fact, all the COVID vaccines. And I was just surprised because what this fellow was doing was just rehashing some of these same unfounded concerns that are being circulated and have been circulated for some time. So we're going to address these in today's show. Now, remember, this was designed first as a video. And so some of the things that we'll make reference to will have some visual component. But what I will do as we go through the show, if that visual component was essential, I will give you a little bit more detail on what was being displayed in the video. Most of it works perfectly fine audio. It will not be the entire video presentation, but a large portion of it that will expose you to five COVID-19 mRNA vaccine myths. That's right. If you're looking for it on YouTube, mRNA COVID vaccines, five myths dispelled. You'll find it on my YouTube channel, which is simply Compass Health Consulting. With that background, I invite you to dive into today's show, highlighting some important issues that I believe all of us need to be clear on just so we can be civil, if nothing else, really honestly look at the data, talk about the real issues and not twist stuff, not try to engender fear on either side of the issue. Here we go. Footage from my recently released video on COVID mRNA vaccines. We really are at a crossroads. 
And what we believe and what we share with others is making a difference in the global discourse. Yes, we're speaking about COVID-19 still, and what's come front and center into the dialogue are the COVID-19 vaccinations. There's a lot of myths circulating out there. And if you're like most people, you've already figured this out. You don't need to watch this video. Well, I'd ask you to think again. Please hear me out, because there's a very good chance from what I'm seeing that you've bought in to some of the five leading myths that are circulating about COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccines. I've been right there with a lot of you. I'm someone who spent the majority of my life getting patients off of medications, helping them to embrace natural strategies to lower their blood pressure, address their diabetes, prevent other chronic illnesses, or even reverse diseases, autoimmune conditions, you name it. So how does that all fit in when we're starting to talk about a vaccination? Well, I'll just be honest with you. Just from the, from the beginning of this presentation, I was not all gung-ho for these COVID-19 vaccinations when I first started hearing about them. In fact, like a lot of you, I was pretty skittish myself. But I've been looking at the data, and I've got to tell you that although this was not a slam-dunk case for me by any means, I think there's a lot of things that are transpiring that we need to look seriously at. Because there's myths circulating, and they're myths that I believe that could have serious and even life-threatening consequences. I'm going to look in this video at five COVID vaccine myths. The first one is that these vaccines are unnecessary. COVID-19, it's really not causing any increase in mortality. It's not something we should be worrying about. Number two myth that we'll look at, the messenger RNA vaccines are not effective. Myth number three is that people are dying in large numbers from these vaccinations, or just make it even simpler, these messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccines are dangerous. Number four, these vaccines are experimental. And myth number five, the Tuskegee experiment proves that we can't trust messenger RNA vaccines. Now, let me tell you, this is a video to answer your personal questions. In this video, I am not going to be talking about public health concerns. You see that bottom bullet point. It's not a video about the public health benefits of messenger RNA COVID vaccinations. And I, I think this is a very important topic, but I'm not going to be dealing with it, uh, at least not to any extent in this particular video, maybe uh, a future video. This video actually was designed to answer your questions. People have been reaching out to me. They've been asking me things, both my patients and individuals who listen to my weekly radio show, who have watched my videos. And my job in this video is not to try to persuade you to get the vaccine. I will just be honest with you. Like I said, this was not an easy decision for me personally, whether I should get the COVID-19 vaccination or not. And I'm saying the vaccination, of course, there's uh, several vaccines that are options right now in the United States. But uh, I was one of those people that struggled with it. I was not airing my concerns publicly, but speaking with other uh, colleagues, other individuals. And I'll just tell you at the beginning of this uh, video that um, I will let you know whether I've decided to get the vaccine, whether I've actually done so before we finish. But let me share this with you. Motivation of this video is not to persuade you to get vaccinated. But this is my big concern, and this is why, if nothing else, I'm doing this video today. And that is, I believe the majority of people in America who have not been vaccinated, I believe the majority would be vaccinated and would benefit from the vaccine if 
they had access to truly balanced information. And that's what I'm going to look at with you here, because I find many people telling me, oh, I'm not getting the vaccine because of X, Y, or Z. And many of the reasons they're giving me are simply based on myth. Let's dispel those myths as we go through the presentation. Now, some of you are already asking, why am I focusing on the COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccines? The reasons for it are pretty simple, really. There's a lot of controversy about the vaccinations. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. And we're looking at the vaccines that have the longest track record of use in the United States. We're talking about two vaccines, one made by Pfizer, the other made by Moderna, that have no use of fetal parts in the vaccine or in the testing of the vaccine. I know that's important to many of you. That's not an issue with these messenger RNA vaccines. Also, these vaccines are typically distributed in multi-dose vials. That means there's no way someone can put a tracking device or tracking devices into those multi-dose vials and be dispensed to specific individuals. And finally, perhaps most importantly, as far as making the dialogue as simple as possible, there never was a pause, an official uh, uh, break, if you will, to say, let's reexamine this as was done with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Nothing against the J&J vaccine. That's not uh, where I'm going with this. And again, I, I'm saying nothing against it, not in this video. I'm just not looking at it. So we're trying to focus on the messenger RNA vaccines, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine uh, released in conjunction with bio and tech. So with that background, if you feel like I've just hastened through some things pretty quickly as to why I'm emphasizing the mRNA vaccines, feel free to check out my video, Plain Talk About mRNA Vaccines, that was released recently. So let's look at these myths now. Myth number one, these vaccines are simply unnecessary. People have allegedly died from COVID-19, but U.S. death rates are unchanged. Have you heard that one? I've heard it from multiple sources. They say, hey, Dr. DeRoz, uh, yeah, people, they say are dying from COVID-19, but I've heard uh, death rates haven't changed. Well, that is simply not true. This is data from April 2021. Looking at what happened in 2020 in the United States, this is uh, data just recently published. And what I want you to notice is if you look back at 2019, look back at 2019, and you'll see that here in the United States, some 715 people were dying per 100,000. If you look though at 2020, 828 deaths per 100,000 in the population. That's an incredible 16% increase in the risk of dying from something, okay? Now, the data suggests that increase in mortality risk is from COVID-19. But let me just go along with the naysayers. They're saying things like, oh, well, my grandfather died. He fell down the stairs and they said he died from COVID-19. I'm not going to tell you there's absolutely no misclassification. There's always some things when you're categorizing things, classifying things, filling out death certificates. I've had to fill them out as a physician. Yes, things can be misclassified. But the point I want to make, no one is arguing. I've not heard anyone arguing with the fact that deaths are up 16% in a year. This is incredible. And really the only explanation for it is COVID-19. So whether you think uh, you know some state wasn't keeping track correctly or whether some individual, some doctor said in our hospital they weren't tracking the COVID-19s, right? They were putting COVID-19 for things that weren't COVID-19. Do you understand the problem? The deaths were still up 16% in our country. These weren't people that hadn't died. So some people can quibble about what they were dying from, but something cataclysmic, something dramatic happened in 2020 in the United States and nothing else, nothing else fits the bill 
except for COVID-19. But it's worse than that as far as making this more contemporary. This is data now. We fast forward to April of 2021. And what we're seeing is something very interesting happening as we're looking at the data on individuals who have been hospitalized with COVID-19 infection. So now we're looking at serious infection. Many people have been telling me, oh, well, this isn't really a worry to me. I'm at low risk. I don't need to be concerned. I'm young. How young is young? It's true. At the height of the pandemic, this is a blow up of that previous graphic, the height of the pandemic, as far as mortality, hospitalizations here in the United States, December 2020 to January of 2021. When you look at that data, you see something striking. And that is the population group that was the hardest hit was those over 65. Often the majority of people in the hospital in December and January through January of 2021, they were individuals in that 65 plus age range. But what's changed dramatically in just four short months, is now we're seeing the majority of patients that are being hospitalized are under 65. And you can see in the graphic, roughly equal numbers of people who are under 49, as opposed to those who are between 50 and 64. So this is, yes, hospitalization rates down, case rates down. But when you're looking at who's being affected, there is a disproportionate number of younger people now being affected. And this is really telling us that we all really need to be concerned still about COVID-19. So the messages are simple. COVID-19 continues to infect, hospitalize, and kill people. But a growing percentage of those who are having the most severe complications are younger individuals. In many cases, under 65. In many cases, under 50. And lack of immunity, lack of immunity seems to be what's driving the increased relative hospitalization rates in younger individuals. In other words, older individuals have done better with getting these mRNA vaccines, and younger individuals have not felt it was as important. This is an important issue. On that note, we're going to step away from our first segment of today's edition of the broadcast. We're going to talk more about myths COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccine myths. You don't want to miss it. We've got a lot more coming up. Important stuff that uh, I know is out there. I know is dissuading some people from getting the vaccine who I believe would really benefit from it. Again, we're not twisting any arms in this program, but some sobering stuff. Stay tuned. A lot more to come. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose. We are talking about COVID-19. We're actually specifically looking at five myths, I believe, that have been shaping a lot of the dialogue relating to the messenger RNA vaccines. We're drawing this material from a recently released video. It's a video I released on YouTube on May 6th. It's simply called Messenger RNA COVID Vaccines, Five Myths Dispelled. Basically trying to help us realize that a lot of the arguments that are being thrown around out there are using partial information twisting information. Again, I'm not attributing motives to this, but I am very worried as a physician and public health professional at what is happening in this dialogue. We looked at the first myth, and the first myth was one that I'd heard repeated many times, and that is that, oh, all these, uh, quote, deaths from COVID-19, these are just people that have died from other things. The problem with that whole argument is death rates are up. No one's questioning this. I have not heard someone saying there's false death certificates being submitted. People are questioning whether individuals who died died from COVID or something else. But the point is no one's telling me, oh, my grandfather is still alive and he had three death certificates filled out as uh, having him died from COVID-19. So no one's alleging that. They're simply saying that there's misclassification. The problem with this is deaths are up 16% when you compare 2019 with 2020. So that's myth number one. People are dying. The only explanation for the dramatic increase in death rates is COVID-19. Let's go from there now to the next four myths. We're not going to cover them all in this segment, but let's move in to myth number two. Again, this is coming from a video, so there'll be some references periodically to video footage, but the sense is fully communicated in the audio that I'm airing. Let's go to myth number two now. Myth number two is simply that the messenger RNA vaccines are not effective. What does the data actually show? Well, let me first go to some of the naysayers. 
I've had, believe me, I've had multiple people send me stuff highlighting this same story about Argentina's president testing positive despite having received the coronavirus vaccine. Now, there's many possible explanations for this, but let's give the naysayers the benefit of the doubt. Let's say the Argentinian president got one of these messenger RNA vaccines. He got the first dose. He got the second dose. No exposure to COVID-19 during that whole time. Okay, a whole month out. He's got optimal immunity from the vaccine and now he's exposed and now he gets the infection. Now, I'm not saying that happened, but that's the worst case scenario, if you will, for the vaccine's efficacy. So even if that happened, let's look at this statement. I've actually heard this. By the way, this very statement, multiple people have sent to me. The vaccination, speaking of COVID-19 vaccination in general, does not stop you from getting the virus or spreading the virus. And then they cite this example. Was that proof of it? Wait a minute. Who's saying that the vaccine stops 100% everyone from getting the virus or spreading the virus? No one's ever said this. This is that typical straw man argument saying, hey, I just have to show you one case where someone got the vaccine, got sick. It means the vaccine's no good. I'm not saying that that's why people sent me this or that's why people are using this argument. But I'm just saying this is not what anyone's saying. No one's saying it's 100 percent effective. But the implications of this statement, the vaccination does not stop you from getting the virus or spreading the virus. That is implying, if you take it very literally, that the vaccine is worthless. Is that what the data shows? That is a total myth. These vaccines have documented effectiveness. Multiple studies, multiple countries, typically in the range of 80 to 90% or better, showing that they prevent infection, they prevent symptomatic disease, they prevent hospitalizations, they prevent deaths. That's what the data is showing. It's more than that, though, because one of the real questions is, is this helping me to not spread the virus? And I know we're getting into the public health. This is not the main emphasis here, but I know individuals for their own sake are concerned. Am I going to put other people at risk? Asymptomatic infections dramatically decreased by these vaccines in the range of 80, 90 percent or better. And these are the most risky scenarios as far as transmission. After all, if you're feeling sick, I mean, common sense today, if you got a fever, you can't smell or taste, you're supposed to be staying home and you have COVID-19 infection until proven otherwise. But it's the asymptomatic individuals or pre-symptomatic before they've developed symptoms that are at the highest risk of transmitting the virus. These vaccines help to prevent that. And when you actually look at households, households, unvaccinated people, people in their household have been vaccinated, they are less likely to catch the virus. Myth number three, people are dying in droves from messenger RNA COVID vaccinations. I will just be honest with you. I'm very concerned with this kind of rhetoric. People talking about how dangerous these vaccinations are. Now, some of these people may have good motives. I'm not questioning people, whether they're altruistic or not, whether they're sincerely interested, their fellow man. But here's the deal. The way most of these things are being worded and phrased, many of these videos that are going out there, many that you've watched and you've asked me to watch them, from my vantage point, these are nothing but scare tactics. Extremely powerful anti-vaccine rhetoric without true transparency. Now, I don't know what people's motives are. And again, I'm not in a position to question them. But I hear statements like this. And by the way, I've gotten multiple 
people sending me videos saying things like this. Again, I'm paraphrasing. We're just trying to get the information out there. We want people to make intelligent decisions. And then they start spewing out all these myths, all these half-truths. And I'll be honest with you, even as a professional, I watch this stuff and I say, wow, I never get that vaccine. This is scary. This is really bad stuff. Well, is it true? Is it really that dangerous? Let me tell you, one of the sources that, uh, again, I've gotten multiple people reaching out to me, asking me about this. Health Impact News sounds like a reputable health organization. It's not a health organization. These are people with a religious agenda. Now, in their defense, some of their religious presuppositions I would embrace, I would agree with from what I've seen. Uh, Some of them I'm very worried about. And it's not a religious argument. If you have religious reasons not to get a vaccine, well, that's fine. Don't get the vaccine, okay? But don't try to twist other people's arms by misusing the vaccine information. And that's what myth number three is. People dying in droves from COVID-19. Here's what they're saying. This is their website, Health Impact News. At one point, 4,500 people dead. How did they come up with this? They got data from something called Udra Vigilance. It's a European database of suspected adverse drug reaction reports. We have something very similar in the United States called VAERS. What's shocking to me is it seems like people don't understand what vaccine adverse event reporting is. If people are honest, and if you're using that data, why don't you just use the very first thing that shows up when you go to Udra Vigilance? I didn't have to search for this. This is what comes up right when you go to the website. Key information, bullet point number one. The information on this website relates to suspected side effects. In other words, medical events that have been observed following the use of a medicine, but which are not necessarily related to or caused by the medicine. But they don't stop there. Look at the next bullet point. Information on suspected side effects should not be interpreted as meaning that the medicine or the active substance causes the observed effect or is unsafe to use. Only a detailed evaluation and scientific assessment of all the available data allows for robust conclusions to be drawn on the benefits and risks of a medication, or in this case, a vaccine. What is the point here? The point here is that you can't go to a vaccine adverse event reporting system, tally up the number of people who died in the time surrounding the vaccine and say that this is due to the vaccine. Now, some of you may be scratching your heads because I find a lot of people don't understand how these systems work. So let me explain. Let me make it very practical. Let's look at data from before the COVID-19 epidemic. Let's go back to 2018 and look at data from the United States. What I want you to notice here is just what you'd expect. If you look at people in the 15 to 24-year age range, they have lower death rates than all age groups older than them. You can see the death rate about doubles as you get into your mid-20s to early 30s, and uh, it continues to accelerate from there. By the time you look at Americans 85 and older, you'll see that over 13,000 out of every 100,000 individuals in that age group will die each year. Expressed another way, we're more used to percentages, most of us in lay circles. So over 13% of the population of Americans who are 85 and over will die each year. Now, that may not sound all that shocking. We don't expect people to live a huge amount of time longer after they've had their 85th birthday. We are stepping away from the audio track from my recently released video entitled Messenger RNA COVID Vaccines. Five Myths Dispelled. 
And uh, if you felt like you missed out on something because you weren't seeing the actual video, let me tell you that last graphic that I was referring to just simply was looking at 2018 mortality rates per 100,000 members of the U.S. population. And the graphic showed as you went from your mid-teens into your 20s, about 70 people per 100,000 dying, and just gradually works its way up. When you get to 65 to 74, it was up to over 1,700 people out of every 100,000 dying. That would be the same as 1.7, 1.8%. As we get into the 75 to 84-year age range, it would be 4.4% of the population dying every year. And then that last statistic that I closed with, 85 and over, If you're in that age range, roughly 13.5% of the U.S. population dies every year. We're going to pick up on that statistic when we come back with our next segment because I'm going to use that to help illustrate some of the pitfalls that we can uh, run into when we're looking at mortality statistics. This is very important stuff, and it will help you to understand probably the most frequent mistake made in evaluating the COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccines. You don't want to miss that. We've got it right up after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call one 800 775 hope That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit stoptextstoprex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. 
Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for the second half of our show today. We're focused on what really still is a controversial subject, at least in many circles. Are these messenger RNA, COVID-19 vaccines, the vaccines produced by the likes of Pfizer and Moderna, are these vaccines safe? I'll tell you, if you listen to a lot of stuff, it's just really scary out there. I mean, it's shocking. I'm just going to be honest with you. I just received some footage from a national newscast. This is not some minor network. I'm not going to mention any names of the host, someone likely well-known to all of you, who was actually talking about this VAERS data, just like I featured in my video that came out on May 6th of 2021. And let me read you some rough quotes from this host. How many have died after getting the vaccine? talking about the downsides of the vaccine, the potential risks of the COVID-19 vaccines. And uh, another quote, the apparent death rate from the coronavirus vaccine. And this individual is quoting from the VAERS data, this is totally inappropriate from a public health standpoint. I'm not saying the person was bad. I'm not saying that they didn't have good motives. I'm just saying you can't use any of these data sets to make those kind of points. You have to actually compare this with the general population. And I'm going to try to make that very practical as we go back to the video. We're working from this concept now, uh, just shared at the end of the last segment, if you missed it, 2018 mortality data shows from the United States long before COVID-19 that roughly 13% of individuals 85 and older were dying every year. Okay, that's a fact. Roughly 13%, 85-year-olds and above are dying every year. I'm going to illustrate the dangers of just going to a vaccine adverse event reporting database and trying to draw conclusions from it about whether a vaccine is dangerous, whether it has downsides, whether it has potential risks. All of this language is not appropriate for public health data like we're talking about. Let's see if the following illustration makes it any clearer. You say, well, what does this mean then as far as vaccine adverse event reporting? Well, let's take a hypothetical situation. Take an individual who is 86. This individual, 86 years of age, we're going to follow him or her for the course of two months. Why two months? They're going to get one of the mRNA vaccines. They're going to get the first dose Let's say right now, we're going to follow them for one month after that first dose. Then they're going to get their second dose, and we're going to follow them for another month after that second dose. Okay, just hypothetical situation, following them for two months. What is the likelihood that that person would die during that two-month period, even if the vaccine had absolutely no side effects? Maybe it's a saline vaccine. Let's just say we pat you on the arm, okay? So what is the risk of someone dying who's 85 over the course of two months? If we just pat them on the arm, well, let's look at the data. The raw death rate is over 13,000 per 100,000. In other words, that equates to over 12% per year. And the reason I use 12% and not 13% is to make the math easy. Because you divide 12% by 12 months, and that means it's over 1% of the population 85 and over in the U.S. who's going to die every month. 
So follow anyone for two months in that age range, and you realize they have a one in 50 chance that they're going to die, even if you just patted them on the arm. If you give them a vaccine, same deal. If you give them a haircut, if they brush their teeth, all these things are independent of the fact that they're going to die. Now, that doesn't mean there couldn't be a vaccine that could kill people, okay? But all I'm saying is just to say, hey, we looked at a group of 87-year-olds in the U.S., and one in 70 of them died after they got the COVID vaccine. This killing people is killing off our most vulnerable aged people. That would be an inappropriate use of the VAERS data. It would be an inappropriate use of UDRA vigilance. So tallying up deaths makes no sense. By the way, if you're really interested in this, look at some of the deaths that have been tallied up. These are just incidental deaths. There's accidents on there. So you really think that getting a COVID vaccine is going to make you more prone to an accident? Well, maybe. But you can't say that it's connected until you do some more rigorous scientific study. Let me tell you two true stories that help illustrate what I'm talking about. These are two patients that I personally worked with. Of course, I'm going to change details so that we maintain their confidentiality. But let me walk you through these scenarios. First patient we'll call Bob. Bob is in his 40s. Generally healthy guy. He's a college athlete. I mean, he still looks quite fit. Yes, he's developed diabetes and high blood pressure, but he's a healthy guy. Bob gets the COVID-19 vaccine. He gets one of the messenger RNA vaccines that we've been talking about. Two weeks later, he has a massive stroke. Half his body paralyzed. Was the vaccine involved? Hang in there. Let me tell you the other story. This time, I'm going to tell you about someone we'll call Sue. She's in her 20s, perfectly healthy. She gets one of these messenger RNA vaccines. Three weeks after her second dose, she's not feeling all that well. She keeps feeling worse. She's into doctor and then to other doctors, and finally, she's in the hospital. They diagnose her with an autoimmune condition called dermatomyositis. And she doesn't respond to treatment. Sue ends up dying, perfectly healthy, recently vaccinated for COVID-19. What do you think? Clear evidence of two conditions that were linked to those uh, vaccinations? Well, before you jump to a conclusion, let me tell you, like I promised, I was changing some details to protect the uh, identity of the patients, uh, also to help us with the illustration. because. Neither of those two real-life patients received the vaccine at all. You say, well, what's the point of the story? Listen carefully. Those are real stories, real people. They could have just as well gotten the COVID vaccine two or three weeks before their diagnoses. Bob could have gotten a COVID vaccine two weeks before his stroke. I don't think it would have changed what would have happened. He still had a stroke at a specific point in time. Real story really paralyzed to this day on half his body. And Sue could well have gotten, just by chance, gotten the COVID vaccine a few weeks before she developed dermatomyositis. Again, vaccine had nothing to do with it in either of those stories because neither one had been vaccinated. Do you understand my point? Things happen. The older we get, the more likely we are to die. But as a physician, I can tell you, Bad things happen out of the blue all the time. If you vaccinate enough people, you're going to have in vaccine databases, these adverse events 
databases. You're going to have things that may sound scary, but it does not mean it was connected to the vaccine. You have to look at large numbers of people, say, was there really any difference in the number of people who were diagnosed with dermatomyositis or who had a stroke and who got the vaccine compared to those who didn't? And what we're finding so far is there does not seem to be much compelling data that these vaccines are causing any serious side effects, okay? At least in the vast majority. I'm not going to exclude the possibility, not going to exclude the possibility of rare side effects in some people. And you say, that's reason enough. And I'll be honest with you. That's what made me hesitant about getting the vaccine. So hang in with me because I'm going to tell you what changed my mind because I promised you I'd let you know I did get the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. And then I started asking myself the question, well, I I did well with that, didn't hurt me, no side effects. Should I get the second dose? I'll tell you that too in a few minutes. Now, at this point, I need to step away from the audio track of my video that we've been playing. If you're just joining us, I'm Dr. David DeRose, and you've been listening to some audio excerpts from a recently released video called mRNA COVID Vaccines, Five Myths Dispelled. And uh, why I'm stepping away is because I just have to address an issue. Right around the same time that I released that video, which came out on May 6th of 2021, of course, it was in production for a while before that, around the same time, a national news celebrity actually came out raising concerns about the safety of COVID-19 vaccinations. And uh, I just need to share some things with you because you may feel, well, I made some statements here that are not justified because you've been hearing from people like that host. I've Actually, by the way, the arguments he was using and the evidence he was quoting from this VAERS and UDRA vigilance data has been around for quite a while. People have been circulating these arguments. But let me tell you, what the the big concern was. A person reached out to me, shared this video footage and said, hey, this uh, intelligent person is saying these vaccines, these COVID-19 vaccines are much more dangerous than the flu vaccine. Some comparisons were made. And uh, what do you think about that? Suggesting that these current COVID mRNA vaccines, as well as the others, presumably, are so much more dangerous than anything we've ever seen before. Well, let me tell you the reply that I gave to this individual. I said, from a public health standpoint, I believe this reporting is inappropriate. And in my mind, it's an example of what stifles dialogue. In other words, it's not wrong to ask questions about side effects of vaccines. But when someone without a public health background is quoting public health data without interviewing a public health professional who can uh, actually walk through some of the things I've been trying to walk you through on this program. It's basically making inflammatory descriptions. And I find a hard time saying it's not falling into using scare tactics. So let me just explain a little bit. Why can't we look at VAERS data or UDRA vigilance data and say, hey, it doesn't look like many people died around the time of influenza vaccine administration. It seems like there's a whole lot more uh, dying around the time of COVID-19 vaccine administration. Here's three compelling reasons why I believe we can't make those comparisons based on the public health background. First of all, there has never been any active surveillance for influenza side effects. So we're talking about here in the U.S. right now, 
if you've gotten the COVID vaccine, you likely were invited to join a program called VSAFE. VSAFE is a active monitoring system where the government is actually sending you a, a text, a message uh, to your smartphone. I enrolled in it, and every day after I got my uh, COVID vaccination, they were asking me, how am I doing? This is active surveillance. That means you're going to capture many more side effects than you would expect to in a passive surveillance system. So it's comparing apples and oranges to talk about previous vaccines or influenza when you're talking about an active surveillance system. But it's more than that. Anytime you deal with a new vaccine, there are going to be increased concerns, okay? Nobody has any experience getting these vaccines. Everyone is more vigilant, understandably, and so we would expect higher, uh, more aggressive reporting. If any kind of event happens in any reasonable proximity to the vaccine, of course, people are going to raise questions about it. So this is true of health professionals as well as lay people. Add to that now. Many people using language, like this very host that I'm referring to, about people coercing individuals to get the vaccine. And I'm not saying that there isn't some truth in that. Some people may feel coerced in their workplace or in some other setting. But once you start feeling like someone's making you do something as opposed to you choosing to do something, what we know in public health circles is you're much more likely to perceive problems with whatever happens. If you feel coerced, if you feel it's not your choice. Anyway, we're going to come back to some of the dialogue. I'm going to tell you what changed my mind about looking at these vaccines very differently. That comes up in our next segment. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions, they just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers. It sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends. So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal, but taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and, and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? 
Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've been sharing with you insights from my video that deals with COVID-19 mRNA vaccine myths. We've been looking at five myths. We're actually uh, talking about a common myth where people are magnifying the harms that can be attributed to these vaccines. And again, I'm not saying that there have been no adverse events that have occurred, but I'm telling you, many people are trumping up the numbers using inappropriate comparisons with adverse vaccine reporting databases in both the U.S. and abroad. If we were just watching my video at this point, I would next cut to Dr. Eric Walsh. Dr. Walsh, a guest here on this very show back on an episode that aired the week of April 19th of 2021, Dr. Walsh shared how he was really concerned about people coming into his clinic saying they didn't want the COVID-19 vaccines because they didn't know the long-term consequences of those vaccines. His response? Listen, you also don't know the long-term consequences of getting COVID-19. And from that background, Dr. Walsh launched into a story about a patient of his in her early 30s, who ended up with severe long-term complications from COVID. Now, with that background, let's go back to the audio from my video presentation. I started looking at data on what happens to people who get natural COVID-19 infection. I'm a healthy person. I'm not taking any regular medications. I have generally good health. I don't think I'm at very high risk. I try to be on a very healthy lifestyle. But I started to look at the data. In some data sets, individuals with COVID-19, even with asymptomatic infections, presumably very healthy people, right? They didn't even get sick noticeably. One in five of them with serious long-term complications. By serious, I'm talking like losing the sense of taste or smell. Long-term neuropsychological effects, long-term fatigue, long-term respiratory effects, Healthy, young people, now with lung disease, now with heart disease. That's what motivated me to get the first dose of the Pfizer messenger RNA vaccine. You know what motivated me to get that second shot? I'm not saying it's the only thing, but it was listening to all these myths, some of which I think well-meaning people are sharing out there, but are discouraging people from getting these messenger RNA vaccines. Myth number four, the vaccines are experimental. This is a myth. And the myth stems from a misunderstanding of what the emergency use authorization is for vaccines. You can just go to the FDA website. You can read all about it. It's not for releasing things that haven't been adequately tested. It's not something to turn out to the public things that are experimental. The experimental process has already been done. I'll talk about that in a minute. This emergency use authorization is a fast tracking 
It's an expediting the normal bureaucracy of the FDA to get promising treatments out sooner when there's an imminent need to do so, whether it's a vaccine or whether it's a medication. You see, the experimentation, like I said, has already been done for these vaccines. When we test a vaccine, it goes through phase one trials, then phase two trials, then phase three trials. All of these have been completed. These vaccines are not experimental. Thousands of lives have been studied before these vaccines were released. They were found to be generally safe and effective, and that's why they were fast-tracked. They are not experimental. Now, in defense of those who are using this terminology, sure, you could look at any drug or therapy, any vaccination, if you're taking it for the first time or the second time or the third time or however many times you've been taking it, you can look at it as experimental on you, experimental in the sense that you don't know what it's going to do to you. And you could always argue that. You could argue that with anything, no matter how well tested it is. And it's true. I'm not going to tell you with a straight face that there's absolutely no possibility for a side effect to anything. The safest drug, the safest vaccine, there's side effects, potential side effects. But it's, that doesn't make it experimental in the medical sense of the word. Now, this is just my personal view. As a public health professional, I've got my boards in preventive medicine as well as internal medicine. That doesn't make me any better than anyone else, but it just discloses to you how I think. I'm thinking prevention when I deal with patients. And if a patient walks into my office and says, well, I don't want anyone experimenting on me with these vaccines, believe me, I have a problem with someone saying that, especially if they're experimenting with other known drugs and toxins. If you're using alcohol, you're experimenting on yourself, convincing data, multiple studies, increasing cancer risk. Well, what are you worried about long-term effects of the vaccine? Well, it might cause autoimmune disease, might cause cancer. Why are you experimenting with alcohol? Well, I'm just a social drinker. No, I'm talking social drinking, compelling data. It's increasing your risk of a host of cancers. What about marijuana? The data on marijuana so far suggests it's worse for your blood vessels than tobacco smoke. It's hard on your lungs. You're experimenting with all these things. Red meat. Do you know there's research showing the more red meat you eat, the sooner you'll die? And are you experimenting with that? Well, yes. And listen, I'm 60 years old. The red meat hasn't hurt me yet, nor have the cigarettes or the beers. You're experimenting with yourself. If you want to use that term for experimentation in the sense that taking something that may have questionable effects down the road. My point is simply this. My point is simply this. In the medical sense of the word, these vaccines are not experimental. Let's look at myth number five. And that's that the so-called Tuskegee experiment proves that we can't trust the mRNA vaccines. Now I'll be the first one to admit, this is a sad chapter in American health history. African-American men, not treated for syphilis for multiple decades in some cases, not being given life-saving, disease-treating antibiotics. I can understand why this would leave a bad taste in many people's mouths. But listen with me to Dr. Eric Walsh. Eric himself, African-American, what does he have to say? Well, I'll say that there is historical evidence reasons why people have some um, doubt um, in trusting the government and even the medical establishment. 
He's not sugarcoating it either. He's not sugarcoating it. There's some bad things that have happened to minority populations, even in the medical arena. By the way, I wish I could tell you this wasn't true, but I know even to this day, there are people because of their race, because of their gender, because of their socioeconomic status, are not treated like other people. And that's sad. Here's the real concern. What was the problem with the Tuskegee experiment? The problem was they weren't treating African-American men. They weren't giving them the treatment that they deserve like anybody else. Dr. Walsh picks up on the irony of this history. Listen to what he said. African-Americans and in some parts of the country, um, indigenous populations also have higher rates of infection and higher death rates, uh, higher complication rates from COVID. And then to see now, the weirdest of all ironies is now that there's a vaccine that might protect them, to believe that somehow the vaccine is a problem. Biggest fear is that African-Americans would have suffered all this time, not want to go and get the vaccine. And when this, when this pandemic is almost like over, it's this vaccine, the virus is still wreaking havoc, havoc in black African-American and other minority populations across the United States and not receiving the kind of media attention it's getting now. Do you see Dr. Walsh's point? I mean, if you're worried about the Tuskegee experiment, that's when minority people weren't getting access to the treatments that other people were. When I got my two Pfizer mRNA vaccines, do you know where I was getting them? I was getting the big hospital clinic, vaccination clinic. They were doing a great job. Everybody was being treated there. They didn't have different lines for different races, different buildings. It wasn't based on your gender or your age. Everybody was getting the same treatment. Although there are some sad chapters in U.S. public health and U.S. medical practice history, the Tuskegee experiment is just the opposite of what we're talking about here. If you would benefit from this vaccine, if you have a question, get this vaccine. I think that's the reasonable thing to do. Well, on that note, we'll step away from my video from which you've been hearing excerpts. The video is entitled simply mRNA COVID Vaccines five myths dispelled. If you're interested in watching that video in its entirety, simply go to YouTube and look for Compass Health Consulting. That's my YouTube channel, Compass Health Consulting, and look for the video mRNA COVID vaccines, five myths dispelled, released on May 6th, 2021. Well, hopefully those myths resonated with you. Hopefully you can more intelligently listen to some of these arguments that are being perpetuated throughout the news media and online, and that you can make an intelligent decision for yourself, for those that you love, about these vaccinations. For all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.